Hey everyone, and happy Saturday. This is Sean, host of Pod Rocket, here to bring you one of my favorite episodes of Pod Rocket that you might have missed, Figma with Dylan Field. Figma is such a beloved product by designers and developers, so I found it really interesting to hear Dylan talk about Figma's journey to get where it is today. In the episode, Dylan talks about the ups and downs of starting a company, why the web is a powerful platform to build on, and his thoughts in the future. So here it is, Figma with Dylan Field. and welcome to Pod Rocket. My name is Matt Arbusfeld, and I'm the CEO and co-founder here at LogRocket. And today we have a very special guest, Dylan Fields, who's the CEO and co-founder of Figma. Um, Dylan, I, th- I think I've probably known you for 10 years at this point. I remember seeing a very janky prototype as you were trying <laughs> to get me uh, to drop out of MIT. But um, maybe you could start off and share a bit of what Figma is for the audience. Sure. Well, yeah, so I first met Matt... I think it was a good 10 years ago, like you said. And uh, we were trying to recruit Matt first as an intern. And we're like, hey, Matt, you don't need to be an intern. You just 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 come over to Figma. Just drop out. He ended up taking the Tail Fellowship, which I'd done as well, and started an amazing company, uh, which is now hosting a podcast that I get to be on. Uh, so I'm, I'm very I'm very glad to see Matt's success. Uh, but I do wish that you know, we could have worked together at some point at Figma. Not going to lie. Um, but yeah, Figma uh, is a collaborative design platform, and we try to take people all the way from idea with FigJam to design with Figma Design, making it so people can create mockups, websites, and more graphical materials. Um, and, and then we go to production. And I think that you know one of the big areas that we're trying to figure out is how do we make it so that we're able to better serve the developer audience. And so I'm actually really excited to chat with you today because. This is something that we've been thinking a lot about recently is how to be better for developers. Awesome. And yeah, really excited to hear more about that design to development process and action area I've, I've thought about a lot as well and what can be done there. Maybe, I guess, would love to go back to sort of your founding story. So you're, you're from California, San Francisco area. It sounds like you learned to code in high school and then joined Brown at, to study computer science, I guess. When did you first get into programming and design? Yeah, I first started to, I think the first time I ever wrote code was probably second, fourth grade. Um, I skipped third, so that's why there's a null there. But the I, I had a friend in fourth grade whose older brother, uh, you know, kind of was able to show me some stuff. There was Scholastic, which I was able to use to get my hands on a basic compiler I had at some point gotten a book on like how to program uh, JavaScript or, you know, like HTML for dummies. Uh, and so it's like these little things that that could help me kind of like get access to it. But I didn't really have a compiler for a long time. Eventually started to get the chance to write a bit more C, C++, but didn't know the basics um, for a while. And so it was kind of a gradual thing from, yes, I was doing some stuff in elementary school, but until probably middle school with Lego Robotics, and uh, there was sort of a graphical user interface you could use that was actually, I think, really instructive for me to think about programming and uh, different loop structures and conditionals. But then from there, I found you can actually have a more powerful way to do it with a sort of C um, interface as well. And again, I really didn't understand like 
all all the basics at that point. But then going to high school, started to learn a lot more. Started to do a lot web, more web development in high school as well. I had been interested in design. A lot of my design exposure was coming from Neopets in the early days, uh, which was like a virtual pets website. But the cool thing about Neopets was that the virtual pets were kind of like just the entry point. There was an entire market economy. Uh, there was like a website creation tool. You know, it just kind of kept going. They had like everything you could possibly imagine. But like people thought it was about virtual pets, which was kind of hilarious. Um, and through that website, I was doing like web design for for guilds and stuff. It was pretty bad, but it was fun. And and then in high school, started doing more with PHP. Uh, started making websites for friends and you know websites for my high school and and stuff like that. So was that you can say that your first business you'd build Neopets websites for Neopets goods like battle items and coins and. Uh, I don't think that I ever. Uh, try to charge people for it. So no, I wouldn't call it a business. It was more just, um, you know, on Neopets, you could join a guild. And, you know, the cool thing on Neopets was you could get avatars. Or that was one of the cool things. And you get avatars by getting items. And so I was part of an avatar guild. And uh, we would, you know, basically trade items to get avatars. But we had to kind of create a web presence for it. And so I think on my pet page, I... I, I did a lot of uh, iterations to try to get my, my website to be really good. MySpace was also fun, you know. For what it's worth, I learned really fast that uh, uh, there are people that are better at web design than I was that time in CSS, one of which uh, actually is now the co-founder of Kapwing. So I made a deal with him. I was like, hey, you know, I, I really like CSS and design, but, like, actually, I, I think you're better at it than I am, and you're you're way more creative on this stuff, like, if I give you server space, my, uh, you know, my VPS, will you help me redesign my MySpace page? Because I don't know how you're doing what you're doing, but it's amazing. Uh, and so that, yeah, is the co-founder of Kapling, Eric, uh, who coincidentally is my middle school, and then we were, we were buds. And so then now, now he's you know, making stuff in the creative tool space. It's like kind of wild looking back to all the little intersection points and, and people that, you know, even at a young age, I was lucky to be surrounded by. You may have been the only person with a MySpace page that wasn't completely atrocious looking and flashing text everywhere. <laughs> Eric also had a really cool MySpace page. We, I think eventually I, I, uh, I took it down, though, his version, because it was sort of a, a form over function thing. Um, he mm. uh, had made it so you couldn't actually get to any of the links on the page uh, in the header. He had managed to like figure out a way to... To, to get rid of all of the MySpace stuff and just basically make it a web page. <laughs> and so wow. I was like, okay, this is really gorgeous, but I, I think I need to now uh, now go back and like make this again myself. I also definitely studied like, like uh, I was trying to learn about, you know, computer security a lot. I was really interested in cryptography and, and also just, um, you know, how to do database stuff and, yeah, I was I was fascinated with like some of the MySpace worms, and then also just um, doing a lot around uh, robotics programming for first robotics uh, or trying to learn it. But honestly, not that probably not that helpful to my team, unfortunately. So um, cool. So then you went to Brown, um, and I guess two and a half years, and you dropped out, uh, took the Teal Fellowship to pursue Figma full time. Maybe I'm guessing you had a lot of projects throughout the years. Like, why? How did you decide now is the time to drop out and and pursue this, or what was that? that experience like yeah and before brown i actually had another really good experience which is working at riley media 
O'Reilly makes a, all sorts of stuff. But at the time, they were really known for their conferences, you know, computer textbooks with uh, animals on the front. And honestly, it was just amazing working there because I got such access to, you know, the, the warehouse. And they had sort of like a, a used uh, books rack where I could just go and it's not used. It was like damaged books. But the damages were were pretty pretty low, so I could just kind of get these books and like learn about these different CS topics, which was awesome. But yeah, I went to Brown, um, studied computer science there, realized how much I didn't know, which was very humbling. And I I also had a chance, like you said, I worked on a lot of other projects. One of them was um, this website Course Kick uh, with my friend Devin, who's now the CEO of OpenSea, and. It was uh, it was sort of like a social course browser with recommendations. We convinced Brown's uh, IT team to get us access to all the course pair data, so you can kind of make recommendations for different classes you should take. And it was it was super fun, uh, you know. But at some point, I was like, okay, this is this is not a business. Like maybe we could make something social around this, where you're able to go talk with with other students in your class, and it's like a hub for each class you're in, but it just didn't seem like there was a real path there. I, I tried to create um, something that was a little Discord-esque as well at Brown and get off the ground. I uh, had plenty of other projects along the way, but but I think for for Figma, I kind of realized you know I was my junior fall was when my last semester at Brown, I was going back to Flipboard for a second six month internship. Uh, I'd already interned at that point at LinkedIn, Indianero. Uh, and Flipboard the first time, as well as been a research assistant in Microsoft Research. And I was like, okay, if I want to go do a company, which I am very interested in doing, I got to be like all in. I can't try to do it while I'm at school. Maybe some people can do that. I can't. And so, yeah, I I decided, okay, I'm going to go all in. I had the chance to work with my co-founder, Evan. And um, he was my TA Brown. He was the smartest guy I'd ever met. Uh, And so I was like a no-brainer. And I'd I had a chance to work with some really amazing people at LinkedIn and Flipboard too. And it was just, Evan was so next level. And so, yeah, I, I was like, okay, Evan, are you down? And he was, and uh, thankfully got the tail fellowship, which provided a source of, of funds and yeah, hit the, hit the ground running. And at that point, had you decided on WebGL as sort of the technology you wanted to build around? I know there was drones in there. Like what was, was it just, let's just do something or had you had a idea or hypothesis at that point? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's probably an anti-pattern. So I, I think what's what's good about our approach was that there should always be a why now for a company. And if you don't have something about the world that's changing that benefits you, that's not a good sign. And if your intuition is that there's something that you should build and you can't find that why now, it might be you still have to keep looking. Like a lot of times I think it's it takes a while to figure it out and to articulate it. For example, Twitter, I think... Um, for a while, I couldn't articulate the why now of Twitter. Why Why could Twitter exist one year, but not the previous year? And I think one of the reasons why was that uh, in the early days of Twitter, people were texting their updates. That's why you had 140 characters, because I was a text limit at the time. And that sort of like SMS and adoption of, of SMS as a way to communicate with the internet, that was important. And then I think another reason for Twitter was everyone had away messages on AAM. And so people have been trained with this idea of, I have an away message, I update the away message, and that was a behavior that translated into tweeting. 
So I wasn't able to articulate that though for like four or five years after Twitter launched. So I'm, I'm, I think it's, it's sometimes hard to say it in the moment. Now for us, there were all sorts of why nows for Figma, but the technology right now is WebGL. Like, and, and I think we were, we were kind of going with that framework of, okay, what other technologies are there out there? Drones is another one, like you mentioned. We thought, okay, drones, the regulatory stuff is just not, not going to be good. So we should not go into drones. And I think, you know, it's, it, it was a hard thing for, for example, Zipline to do. Uh, they had to start, you know, in Africa before they were able to come to the States. And I really admire that team's perseverance. Uh, and ironic, by the way, because Zipline was another name we considered for Figma, but I digress. Anyway, so so yeah, I think uh, not the right thing to do if you're founding a new company, but uh, ended up benefiting us because WebGL was such an important technology. Yeah, and I think, especially for technical folks, it can be a good framework. Like we started LogRocket because React and FrontEnds was emerging and seeing there could be a lot of opportunity there. So that resonates. Yeah, I think it's a good source of hypothesis generation. I'm just trying to say like, you should be willing to consider ideas that are outside of your why now framework too. Like if you get too married to one technology, that can be a bad thing because then you might be having a solution to problems that don't exist. And I've seen that happen with a lot of developers, but also it can lead to really great outcomes as well. So it's like, it's a, it's a sort of two, double-edged sword maybe. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe we'll get to crypto, probably not, but I think a lot of that in crypto. I think that might be a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did you decide uh, for vector editing to be the sort of first product that Figma launched? How did you get get to that place? Yeah, I think the insight was, okay, interface design and screen design is going to be really important. And it already is, but the number of people doing screen design in the world is going to be going up. And I think we we started to realize that as we were talking with different companies that were differentiating through design. Uh, and we just come from a decade where we, we had really changed from uh, on-prem servers to cloud with AWS, from box software to you know the app stores, developer tools were getting better, not as good as today. We can talk about that in a bit maybe, but I, I think that all these things were making it so that design was becoming the competitive differentiator. And companies were starting to really up their hiring of designers because users expected better design uh, they were coming from places like using Gmail or using Facebook. And with all that, um, they were, were suddenly requesting that design not be terrible, <laughs> which was awesome. And so with that, I think we, we started to go, okay, what can we do to make design tools better? Uh, fireworks had been killed. You know, that we, we felt like there wasn't a great design tool in the market. Um, Sketch was, was so nascent. Uh, incredibly buggy. It seemed kind of like an indie thing, uh, which was a total miscalculation on my part. But you know that's what we believed at the time, and so we um, we went headfirst into that. And yeah, it took a while to to build. Uh, it took a few years. You know, different twists and turns along the way. We thought for a while we should de-risk it on the web by doing this kind of crazy cross-platform framework. And Evan, you know, is amazing and and built this really cool framework, but. It actually ended up slowing us down. We had to rip it all out later on and, and end up just focusing on the web because the web was good enough. And, and over the course of it, we also saw things like Mscripten and Wasm sort of develop and mature, as well as WebGL uh, you know, become more prolific and more important. And 
and seeing people invest more in that. So, but yeah, I think without WebGL, but also without other web technologies as well, uh, Figma wouldn't be here. Is that, I've been surprised not to see, say, Photoshop in the browser or video editing tools in the browser. Is there, has there just not been an equivalent quality to Figma or product that's Figma's quality? Or do you just think there's something about this designing for application space that yeah, I think you should look harder. I think there's a lot of really good tools out there for all sorts of different use cases. And, you know, the browser is awesome because it's an easy way to implement things, share proof of concepts, and make it so that you're able to to also democratize access to things. And so I think that it's the future of sort of all tooling. Um, but for Figma, um, you know, in the, in the early days, all of our competitors were not in the browser. And so that was... Something that gave us leg up. And when you were when you were building the first few years and you chose people, was it was there excitement? Like how much conviction did you have when you'd show people, or was it a lot of questioning? There was less comparisons to their products and more going, hey, is this actually ever going to work? Like, yeah, you know, we'd use your tests and I would bring a bottle of wine with me because I knew that entering text took like so long. You know, you want to write a paragraph? Let's take 15 minutes to do that. I'll, I'll pour you a few glasses of wine. Uh, and so, you know, it was, it, it was kind of brutal in the early days from a performance standpoint, but we knew we could get it there. We had a lot of conviction, but, but we knew it was going to take a while to do that as an engineering challenge. Got it. So it was like, if this worked and it could be built, then it, you, you knew the market was going to need it. It was mostly technical risk and were people going to care? Yeah, I, I think looking back, there is also... Um, some design risk in that the, you know, in the early days I would show people Figma and a lot of them um, said, I just don't trust it. Mm. I was like, Oh shit. Is it cause it's in the browser? Like, you know, why don't you trust it? And they just couldn't articulate it. And then one day we, we did a refresh on our visual design and suddenly that complaint went away. Wow. And it was like, okay, I guess part of why you didn't trust it was because it looked like it was, you know, it, it was it was more, we were focusing more on the UX than the visual experience. And I, I think that that ended up being uh, a really big inflection point for us. Turns out designers really care about visual design. Who could, who could have guessed? Who could have guessed? Yeah. And I guess maybe gave you more conviction even that it was important to have good tools so you could design good good product. Exactly. And multiplayer, you know, I think we waited a long time to build that, but you know, and that was something that we really had to take a leap of faith on. But um, but we also had been using it, and it just was clear that you needed multiplayer for the web uh, sort of feel. The form factor of the web made it. It was like it, it, that medium needed multiplayer to work. Felt wrong without it. Yeah, people are not used to saving files in the browser and asynchronous. Yep, exactly. So moving on to. Figma, I guess it was six years until you launched the second product or so, FigJam. Is that six or seven years? Maybe can I talk through that, the thought process behind when to launch a new product versus kind of invest all your resources in the core product and how you thought through the calculus on that decision? Yeah. I mean, we were watching the use cases of Figma and we saw when the pandemic started that diagramming whiteboarding was exploding. Uh, we were getting so many questions about sort of this meetings use case as well as sort of lighter weight use cases for Figma. 
and people are starting to treat Figma as a space to hang out in. And so, you know, it's something that we've been considering for a long time. Is there a lighter weight version of Figma to make? Uh, is there some way to really emphasize diagramming, whiteboarding, brainstorming as a, as a use case? But yeah, we, we started to really accelerate those plans once we saw that feedback at the start of the pandemic and went all in on FigJam. And it was awesome. The team really committed. Uh, we built FigJam in about eight months uh, and shipped it to closed beta. And it's now uh, a really meaningful part of our business. We started monetizing earlier this year the product. And uh, it's been amazing just to see how many teams around the world now are using this as the way they whiteboard, the way they brainstorm. And I think we're also really excited about thinking of it as a sort of platform, a visual platform. And how do we make it so that we're able to bring more visual content and connect more applications into FigJam too, because that can be useful when you're brainstorming to have all that information at your fingertips. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm quite excited about, about the future there. And also to complete the vision from idea design to production, because I think that that entire loop and that process is sort of the one that that's the box we're in for Figma. And we're trying to figure out how do we make this entire software development lifecycle better? And it starts with an idea, but it ends with code. And I think that Figma is still not as good as it could be at going from design to code. Yeah, so let's talk about that. I, I know our development team, they're in Figma all the time, looking, talking to designers, getting sizes, CSS, colors. What do you see next in that space of um, design to development collaboration? What are the, the challenges? First of all, about a third of our users for Figma are developers. And so we have a lot of developer users at Figma. And when we look at their satisfaction for Figma compared to designers, it's much lower. And I think there are core problems about, first of all, like how do I select things? How do I uh, use Figma as a product? Some of them are very foundational, but also um, how do I use this alongside the tools that I love? How do I use this in the context of my design system? How do I use this to go to code uh, and speed up my workflow? And we're trying to take a very holistic view of all the challenges I mentioned plus more to figure out uh, a new way for developers to interact with Figma. And yeah, we're, we're spending a lot of time on that right now. So pretty, pretty excited. I think that it's just really important uh, to have really good developer ergonomics, not just when you're coding, but also when you're going from uh, implementing to design. And I think uh, if we can bring those richer primitives to product design, that can help streamline design to production. And are you envisioning something like you can take a exporter component directly to a React component or tie them one-to-one or still start thinking through what the, the main problems are there? I think that there's a lot of frameworks right now that are really interesting. You know, I think that React is one of them, certainly. But I actually think that there's a bunch of frameworks that are starting to come out that will provide a challenge to React, which has, I think, been needed for a long time. And it's great to see the space get more innovative. And so I, I hope that whatever we do and solve, we can solve in a general way uh, and, and hopefully do it in partnership with our ecosystem and, and developers to, to figure out how to make those bridges. But yeah, I, I feel like looking ahead, there's so much we can do to make developer ergonomics better, um, to make developer productivity better. And I think that um, that's the next wave of innovation around web frameworks is 
how do you have faster build systems? How do you innovate, explore faster? You know, like one thing we're talking a lot about internally right now are frameworks like Quick and Remix. And it's cool to see just the pace of development that's happening in the web ecosystem now. Where where do you think developers are, I guess, wasting time or, or there's like opportunity to save them? Is it in like the component building itself, the testing, the, the yeah, where, where what's the low-hanging fruit for where people are wasting time? Yeah, I mean, I think that all the things you just mentioned are, are definitely part of it. Um, and I think it's, you know, there's the web development part and there's like the Figma to code part. I don't think Figma should ever be like a one-click code generator probably. Uh, the needs of our users are too complex for that um, unless the technology gets so good that you can start to do that and save people a ton of time. But I do think the Figma should be able to help with that journey. And then I think, as I think about uh, developer productivity outside of Figma, I, I just think that web apps have gotten like really complicated and development's gotten slower. And so whether it's through you know new build systems, like Evan, my co-founder, uh, he's no longer at Figma, but now he's working on something called the S-Build. Uh, which is a pretty amazing and uh, probably a lot of people that are listening to this have heard about it. But I also think that there's sort of a chance to reset that bar of what's good enough from a user experience standpoint too. And for example, like I believe that the entire web should be fast and real time and secure. And, and also probably, you know, one thing that we're not great at Figma yet, but one thing that the web should be going forward is, is better at offline. Um, and I think that as you sort of layer those requirements on and think about what you need as a system holistically uh, for development, you kind of think about more about what's on the edge. You think more about just sort of declarative approaches. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot that we can see over the coming years in terms of improvements in web development. Do you see a world, and there's been kind of an explosion of these low-code, no-code type tools, um, like where designers themselves can actually get code into production and, and developers can work on, say, say, some of the harder problems? Or do you think, like, there always will be, the professional developers will be needed for every type of application? Good question. I think that always is a long time. Uh, and I think that, you know, if you were to teleport back 30 years ago and try to explain the world of web development today to someone in 92, you know, that would be a very hard task, right? So what does the web look like in 30 years? Like, gosh, I think we can only start to imagine. I think it's maybe a little bit easier to imagine what it looks like in 10 years. I think that developers and designers are, the, the edges between them are becoming more blurry. I think more designers are learning to write code. I think more developers are learning to design. I think that that both uh, both professions need to figure out how to work more closely with each other. And yeah, if there's a way to, to automate part of the work, I think that, you know, hopefully that can be done to enhance the, the end product, the work product, uh, rather than replace people. You know, I, I think that there's a path to both those futures that I could see, but I definitely want to work towards one where automation serves designers and developers to become better craftspeople. Uh, and to to express themselves in new ways uh, in collaboration with technology versus trying to you know get rid of designers or get rid of developers or something like that. Yeah, I remember dream, using Dreamweaver back in two thousand four, where you would 
code and you'd see it update on, like you'd see the visuals and you could drag the visual to change the code. I guess, do you see a future like that for a Figma where you could actually, like you're generating code in real time and it's all synced to an actual code base? Or is that sort of you see those as clearly separate concepts, your design from your code base? So we've explored that. And a lot of our customers that are more on the product side, I, I don't think they want that yet. I think that they their needs are more sophisticated and they need things that are more on the component level. I do think that that's the, that's the promise that everyone gets very excited about, right? It's like, ah, oh, but what if, what if this could work? And I think that it could, it could also be great for learning, by the way. Like, yes, Dreamweaver used some uh, <laughs> really rough implementations of, of like design to table, <laughs> you know, like they, it was, I, you know, I think I learned more of the table element than anything else from Dreamweaver, but, um, but I also learned about other things too. And I, I, I definitely, uh, by studying the code output of Dreamweaver, that was a way that I learned about some aspects of, of web design and, and HTML um, and CSS. You know, we've also had people on the Figma team that were part of building Dreamweaver. And, you know, I think that one thing that, show our, our VP product who was on that effort uh, and is now working at Figma really highlighted for me is there are different sort of thinking modalities that you can be in when you're designing. One is your more free form, you're thinking without structure. The other is your uh, being more structured in your thinking uh, from the start, but they really are different ways to go about a problem. And I think that Figma is more free form and you add structure later on and I think that kind of if you're trying to go more in a Dreamweaver direction, you really need to start with more structure. And um, I, I don't think it's where we're at currently. Can we get there? Certainly. Do we want to get there right now? That's not our immediate focus. But I do think that there's a lot we can do before going all the way from press a button and you get code. Before you go do that, I think there's a lot more you can do to make the design to development handoff better in Figma and make it so that designers and developers can work better together. So yeah, that's what... I'm excited about for the year ahead. I guess for folks who are, you know, probably many people here are in Figma and they're maybe sort of at a one-on-one level, like they're creating designs and they're they're sort of designers, developers go in, they look at things, they try to recreate it. Are there things in Figma that you recommend people start using, like the design systems or I guess how do you see kind of leveling up one's usage of a Figma to, to start improving that collaboration process today? Uh, that's, that's a great question. I think um, first is just visual fluency. Um, I think it's exactly what you said of making things that you're seeing or, you know, go and try to build your your favorite uh, mobile app, for example. Uh, take a screenshot and recreate it. And then once you have that visual fluency of how to use Figma, I think there's all sorts of optimizations you can do. Yes, uh, design systems is one, auto layout's another, but, you know, there's just so much um, that's already there and so much coming too. Our YouTube channel, I think, is a good place to start. Uh, but also there's a lot of stuff on YouTube. And if you start to sort of search for functionality in Figma, I think you'll be surprised at how much you can find. I think also uh, the Help Center Figma is something that we try to do a lot to always have that very updated. And so hopefully that's helpful too. Maybe switching gears a bit, um, most of the audience is developers and we all have ideas of companies we want to start. And there's a lot of new stuff now coming out like AI systems, crypto, new things like all the, the frameworks you mentioned, how, how would you think, how would you help someone think through like, do I start a company? Do I drop out of my, do I quit my job and start a company? Or like in this, when do you sort of suggest someone do that versus kind of stay and, and build something as part of a, a bigger team? 
I think um, most people that start companies are obsessive about the idea that they have. And for us, it was like a sequence of ideas. But I I guarantee you, and I think you saw some of it, we were obsessive about each one (laughs) along the way. So it was kind of like a nagging thought in your head of, "Ah, one day maybe I should start a company. It could be fun. But you're not like waking up every day going, oh, man, there's this thing I want to build or there's this technology I want to explore. And the only way I can do it is starting a company uh, or this person I want to work with. Like, I, I think, you know, probably hold off until that is the case. Um, because it is such a huge commitment that you're making. I think that if you're doing it, expect to do it for a while. I'm very thankful for the Teal Fellowship that we both were able to enjoy, which gives you two years of funding, $100,000 over two years. It's dispensed monthly because, you know, people that get it are typically under 22, and you don't want to give those folks like a a big bump check probably for for a lot of 20 to 22-year-olds. Um, some of them, I, I think, were, would be fine, but, but others, not so much. They're like, ah, oh, what if we put it all in Bitcoin? Which, which maybe some deal fellows have done along the way, but, but anyway, I digress. But uh, I, I think you want to have that time uh, to build a company. I mean, if we had thrown in the towel six months in, you know, and said six months is our evaluation point, is it working or not? If not, let's go and do something else. For me, go back to school. For Evan, go accept any of the thousand jobs that he was being offered. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think... If we had evaluated that six months in, we would have certainly not ever gone into where Figma is today um, because we just had not much to show at six months. We had a lot of prototypes, but nothing that was like, here's our clear direction. And it was like a harder point. And it wasn't, I mean, we didn't start charging until five years in. And by the way, I hope that people don't take away from this conversation that you should wait five years to charge or wait uh, three years to launch. Like all the canonical advice about getting out there, iterating quickly, um, and moving fast, I think that's the right advice. And when I see companies that are taking three years to do what Figma did, I really get to worry about them. Uh, I worry about the team's morale. I worry about their ability to actually get a read on the market. I think we're very much the exception, and and uh, I worry people sometimes think that we're a new rule or something, and we're, we're really not. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I, I think it's like you want to make sure you have the money to support your your path and to try to iterate over time. And I think... I would suggest a partner. It, it, there's some people that can go it alone. I don't know if I would have been one of them. And uh, I definitely could not build Figma by myself. But even if I was doing another company by myself in 2012 when I started Figma, I don't think I could have done it from emotional maturity standpoint. Even having been through the journey now, if I was to start a company today on my own, I think it would have been very tough. My wife is a solo founder, and I'm just so impressed by her the fact that she can do that. So it can be done. Just like, it's really rough. Yeah. Especially to your somewhat log rocket. It took us two, two and a half years to really launch and get conviction around it. And during that time, you just always have that existential, like, what am I doing? And having the partner helps, helps a lot. And also though, Matt, like you had, I remember when I visited you in Cambridge and you had within two to three months of starting a demo that you were showing people and getting feedback on. That's true. Yeah, getting getting feedback early, and you know, for us it was though people people would say, oh, to your point, like I don't know, can you actually do this? Will this work? I use so and so, so there's still you still have to kind of push through some of that skepticism. I think um, if it's a new idea. Um, yep, totally. I guess on the counter side, you know, now funding's getting tighter. There may even folks who raise the seed, even Series A, and have been at it two, three years, like when do you say, 
wave the white flag and, and join another company versus keep persevere? Or how, how do you help people think through that decision? Well, if you're if you're an amazing founder with an amazing team and you're ready to white, wave that white flag and join Figma, call us. Um, but uh, uh, we're we're doing we're we're acquiring companies that are if if the team's amazing and doing the acquire route. But um, but no, I mean, I I think that uh, the best founders persevere a lot of the times. Um, but also they're very honest about where things are at, where their team is at, uh, where morale is at, and. I don't think there's any one answer here. There's no one framework to make that decision. It's a huge decision for anyone to make, just like it is a huge decision to drop out or start a company. And so I was trying to give some guiding principles earlier, but they're not holistic. And, you know, I think there's so many ways to do a startup uh, and the rules are, there's always an exception. Um, And the exceptions are the ones that drive the biggest outcomes often. So I, I think that, for funding right now, yes, it's harder. If you're in a seed stage, it's very different than later stage. If you're seed stage, there are still things that are getting funded. Uh, if you have traction um, and you're growing and your retention's good uh, on consumer, you know, or or more software, that's a really good sign. And people will definitely be taking your calls. Uh, warm intros help a lot, especially warm intros from founders. And I think uh, getting the right connections to the right VCs is is hard from a networking standpoint, but very possible once you're kind of in uh, and know people that are connected to VC. You know, it only takes uh, a few folks to, to get those warm intros and, and be able to raise around. If you do raise around, do it in parallel, time box it, don't let it drag on forever. Otherwise, it can be a huge distraction for you and your team. But, but also, I think, have a point of view of how much dilution you want to do. And uh, I think there's a, it, it's really tough for founders to figure the right thing out, but there's sort of a spectrum of on one side, raising a lot of money so you feel safe and you have that psychological safety to go and be creative and innovative and do it for a long time. And the other side, uh, raising just enough to get to the next round. And, you know, some people are more comfortable playing it close to the vest. For Figma, we always raised a little bit more money than we needed, but the expense of that is dilution. And so you're going to have to decide for yourself what's right uh, for all that. And it's been, I think a lot of successes have been teams that first idea doesn't work, second idea doesn't work, third idea, um, even at scale. Um, like I was at Meteor that pivoted to Apollo and is now doing really well. And then we all like segment started as a whole different thing, uh, you know, Slack. So um, I think. I, I remember crashing, a, you know, segment was, you know, a bunch of MIT people plus one RISD. And, uh, you know, I was friends with them when they were starting segment when it was uh, class metric. You know, they're trying to do an education thing, you know, get metrics on how you're performing as a professor or whatever. And uh, it, it was brutal. Like they, at some point they showed me, hey, you know, I've got this, we built this thing over the weekend, calling it segment, what do you think? We launched it in Hacker News and people seemed to really like it. I was like, oh, cool. Good for you guys. You know, but I, I was so surprised when after, you know, all the class metric days, it just took off. Not because I didn't believe in the team. I always believed in them, but just because, you know, it's like a weekend thing and then boom, it took off. And um, I think it's really hard to break that stuff. But they're, they were committed. They were all in and they're all obsessed of working together and figuring out together as a group. And that's really rare. I think, you know, and again, I went back, going back to the earlier part of the conversation about once you start something, part of that I think could be, you know, you just have something you want to work with. And that was definitely the case for me and Evan too. Uh, I wanted to work with Evan and I thought he was a genius and uh, was so, I felt so lucky to get to spend time with him even. So 
it takes time to wander and your judgment just improves. Maybe final area to touch on, and I've always found you to be like years ahead of the trends. So like for folks starting now, say we just started a company now, how like WebGL was in 2013, or you had a few other things, like what would you say are some interesting categories or areas that um, you think there may be new technologies that could be in, have problems to be solved or could solve problems in uniquely in uniquely new ways? Yeah, I think um, there's so much. And I, honestly, a lot of the technologies I'm getting excited about now, which I don't probably won't go into this time, we can talk later about it, is, uh, are, are actually beyond software. I think so many new technologies are, are outside the world of, of software development uh, right now. And some of them have the, the chance of doing things like curing cancer. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible uh, what we could do for our immune systems and uh, in the bio realm, but but also like, am I an expert on them? Absolutely not. So take everything to say with that kind of thing on a grain of salt. Uh, but I think in the world of software, I mean, I'm very excited about zero knowledge proofs and have been for a while. My wife is working in that area, and I'm I'm just think it's pretty magical what you can do with zero knowledge proofs and how far those uh, systems can get you, and how they can uh, enhance privacy and enable more trustless computing. I think uh, uh, the obvious one everyone's talking about is AI. Uh, I, I still don't know what, what's going to happen with AI. I think there's a chance that it, it's very competitive and very deflationary, but there's also a chance that it just it's you, it'll end up enabling so many new things. And by enabling so many new things, uh, there'll be entirely new industries that sprout up from it that are just really hard to predict. And so it's... it's um, I can't tell you what it's going to look like in two years uh, with a technology like that. Do I find it fascinating and really enjoy watching the latest developments? Absolutely. Um, but the game theory of like how it all plays out is, is a little bit hard for me. Yeah. And where value goes, like does it go to the big companies that already have workflows or are there new companies that, that emerge? Or does it dissipate entirely? I don't know. Again, I think it's, it's potentially very deflationary. What do you mean by that in that? Um, it automates certain parts of the economy and, and therefore makes... Well, there's that risk too, but I meant more about like, um, can you... As- so how much does it tra- cost to train a model? Uh, once a model is trained, does everyone end up getting those weights eventually? You know, I think that the costs of training a model is going to be going down over time. So even the ones that are capital constrained now might not be forever. Uh you know, does the advantage go to the infrastructure layer? Does it go to the application layer? My guess is it goes to the application layer, not the infrastructure layer, but could be wrong. And it could be that there are real modes. Um, and maybe once you get to the point where there's one model that everyone's using for something, there are sort of data feedback uh, loops that end up being really important there. One thing we've done at LogRocket is we have workflows our customers do again and again, where we can detect those and automate those workflows. Like, Are there things like that for Figma that our potential or th- yeah, is there a place for AI Figma? I think there's so much potential in trying to make it so that people are able to improve their productivity in Figma uh, and also just explore more uh, variants of what they're trying to do. When it comes to that efficiency, we're not just thinking about AI, we're thinking about also like how do you improve our tool and we're not done yet. We got a lot of improvements coming for Figma uh, over the next few years and so I'm really excited to see how people continue to evolve their users of the tool and 
the challenge for us is how do we keep it simple? Like we have so many ideas and so much power that we can pack into Figma, but how do we make it so that people are able to use it really easily and uh, that you can sort of take that first step into Figma and not be intimidated too. And so I think there's also a huge UI challenge and what's that interface when you start using Figma and how do you make it so that it's, it's totally approachable for everyone, whether they're in, you know, fifth grade or uh, they're a veteran designer. Um, and, and maybe uh, you mentioned biotech. So I guess is that, uh, will you be kind of spending your evenings um, learning about the, the genomes and RNA or it, it kind of like what's, yeah, what are you learning about, I guess, uh, these days? Oh man, there's so much to learn about, man. Uh, right now I'm learning about babies because I just had a kid and he is endlessly fascinating. So that's my, uh, my, my current obsession is just cognitive development and probably more cog sci and how do you help kids develop and, and be a good parent. So trying my best at that. Do you think your experience running Figma has helped you, uh, with a, a child or is it a whole different <laughs> I don't know. Ask yeah. me in 10, 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, early on in Figma, um, I remember talking with a famous VC who said uh, over a dinner conversation where I think they were kind of trying to fund me. Um, and this VC and I are now friends, but I won't say their name. But uh, they said, I don't think you can be an effective manager until you've had kids. Uh, and I was like 20 and had no plans to have children. And so <laughs> you know, I was like, well, shit, I guess, I guess I will always be a shitty manager then. <laughs> so um, I, I, I think that uh, hopefully something about dealing with people um, and learning how to, to navigate relationships will, will help me with children. But I also already, it's been a challenge beyond uh, what I've encountered with Figma um, and, you know, my my uh, child is quite young, so <laughs> so uh, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, um, like having also grown up as I've been growing the company, that you sort of like the parallels of the personal life and the company um, each inform each other a lot. So yeah, excited to see what you learn the next few years doing those. Um, well, this is great. Yes, uh, really interesting conversation. Super excited to hear more about what you guys are doing to help developers get more value out of Figma. So, thank you. Thanks for having me, and it's great to see you as always. Uh, be well, man. All right, take care.